Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. I've been a big fan of our next guest since I first heard her on the radio. And I heard her on the radio before I actually read her work. Now, she's a, her writing is just absolutely outstanding and very thoughtful and thought-provoking. Tasha Carradine joins us. She's a principal with Navigator Limited. She's also, a, a, once again, a columnist with the National Post. And, uh, Tasha, thank you so much for coming on the program. And your first column, Let's Try a Great Reset That Conservatives Can Love. Interesting thought. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks so much, Roy. Great to be here. So you write that Canadians are reaching peak crazy over COVID and anti-COVID measures. Politicians are in the act. Trudeau said the word reset, which eventually lit a fire, and Pierre Polyev reacted to Trudeau. Mr. Polyev is going to be on the show tomorrow. Uh, let's begin with that, and then please explain, as you do in your column in the National Post, how there exists a great reset option that conservatives can actually get behind. Well, yes, um, the great reset is uh, being touted as the great elite conspiracy to use the pandemic as an opportunity to bend people to their will, whatever that will is purported to be. Um, but I think, you know, uh, people like Pierre Polver would say it's increasing regulation, control, um, whether taxation or things like environmental regulation, the sort of green reset that uh, some people say that Justin Trudeau would like to see, though the government kind of acts off a bit of that. Um, that was sort of the rumor before. But in any event, a lot of people are very fed up with the pandemic. They're fed up with restrictions. You know, where I am in Toronto, you see people at Adamson's Barbecue. The owner was arrested just this week uh, for opening. And he had a lot of people outside screaming and yelling. And I referenced in my column a couple of other protests, anti-masking protests, people dancing in Quebec. At least that one looked kind of more amusing, but it's, it's not funny. Um, because the reality is there's going to be a reset. And as I say, that reset is not going to be, in my view, a big government reset. It's going to be actually a small one because governments will have no money. And when they have no money, they can't do what we expect them to do. So that's the direction I think conservatives have to anticipate and, in fact, could offer some valuable advice on. You know, sometimes uh, just a look at the bottom line creates the, uh, the energy for people to take a broader look when we're totally frustrated, when we're fed up, when all we want to do is shout. If we look at the bottom line, it can create momentum for discussion. And you write in your column, global debt has soared by over $15 trillion in the first three quarters of 2020, hitting a record $272 trillion U.S. And Canada is leading the pack uh, with an increase uh, to our debt to GDP. GDP ratio of over 75 percentage points. So for the layperson like me, whose eyes glaze over when I see anything more than uh, two numbers, explain to us, please, what's going on here. Well, it's bad. There's the short version. Um, we have not seen debt go up this quickly um, ever in, in my lifetime, yours, and probably anyone who's listening to this. Um, federal debt's going to be $1.2 trillion in 2021. That's $1.2 trillion. And 
that is a number, you know, we always criticize the U.S. for being the trillion dollar club. Um, it's something that we hadn't anticipated hitting. We'll know on Monday with the economic statement, probably some more. But um, what it means is that the government is obviously wrapped up spending far beyond its means. And, you know, people are proposing various solutions to this to bring down the debt eventually and bring our GDP ratio back into line because that was always what you know Justin Trudeau said well we can we can increase debt but as long as we're still in a certain balance of uh, income to expenditure essentially or to debt we're okay well we've we've whacked that out of the park like you said 75 percent that's not um, what we were anticipating mm-hmm. people talk about things like a wealth tax and I take pains to point out you know a lot of people agree with a wealth tax. Polling show that almost 80% of Canadians think a wealth tax is a good idea. But if you look at what an, a 1% wealth tax would bring in, for example, if you did that on Canadians who had fortunes over $20 million, it's $5.6 billion a year. The debt is $1.2 trillion. Um, this is not going to help. Uh, you know, That is not the solution here. The solution is really re-evaluating re- what the government does, what it does well, and how we can bring other actors into the mix. And that includes the private sector in places where we haven't seen it uh, to, to the extent that it could be helping. And I, I mentioned several of those, including healthcare is a big one, right. because of ideological constraints here and reactions we have. And I think it's time to have honest conversations because those numbers, like you say, are the reality. And we have to work with them. We can't just ignore them. So whenever you mention health care, and, and, and you write, so the time is ripe for a great reset, a reset to a smaller state, and while conservatives may not hold the levers of power in Ottawa yet, they do in six provinces where they could make a big difference. And this, then you write about health care. And you immediately get people's attention when you talk about health care in this country. We've been conditioned to, uh, to respond to the health care issue. But, but you, you, you point to the realities. And one of them that worries me, you write in pre-pandemic, uh, pre-pandemic, surgical wait times were dismally long. Now they stretch to the horizon. In Moncton, New Brunswick, the average wait time for a knee or hip replacement was 450 days. Today it's 540 at Toronto's Sick Kids Hospital. Two-thirds of patients missed the target window for their operations. 5,000 children will be waitlisted in 2021, and the list is projected to grow. So, so, so we come back to what can we do with healthcare? And it really, well, you, you tell us what you, what you wrote because it's about a combination of public and private. Correct. And it's something that has been talked about in Canada, but never taken seriously at the political level. It's kind of been seen as the third rail. Medicare is a hallmark program of Canadian society. We take great pride in it, as we should take pride in the fact that we have a public health care system. We are different than the United States, where you have so many people who, yes, go bankrupt or, yes, have huge insurance bills, uh, hospital bills because there is no system that makes sure people don't fall through the cracks. And we don't want to be the United States. The problem is we live next to the United States. So people assume whenever we have this conversation, any step towards private health care is a step toward HMOs, it's a step towards the United States where people lose their homes because they can't pay their bill for cancer treatment or whatever. That is not what we're talking here. The, uh, the, all the economies of Western Europe, all, most of the economies around the world, in fact, have a combination they don't make it illegal for a private hospital, for example, to provide services that are also provided by the public system. And that is a big difference with our, with us. You know, that you're not allowed to get certain services that are provided by the public system in a private setting. It is forbidden under the Canada Health Act. And provinces are not challenging this, have not challenged this. There have been some court cases in Quebec, for example, there was one. 
And now there are certain interventions like a knee and hip replacement you can get privately because the courts ruled that the public system wasn't providing them fast enough. But we need to look at this and say, in a post-pandemic world, when we now have huge backlogs, bigger than before, of surgeries, of kids waiting for surgery, why are we being you know, ideological about this? Allow the private sector to fill some of that gap. Funded by insurance, like countries like Switzerland do, for example, everyone there has to have it from, from birth, basically. You have to have a private insurance. There are ways of doing it that are not going to lead us down the slope of the United States. So I think it's really important to have that conversation. And I think this is an occasion to do that. Um, I don't like the term silver lining. You know, people have died from this pandemic. It's, it's, not a, it's not an opportunity. It is a time, though, when we have to be honest with ourselves. And this is, I think, part of the conversation we need to have. So true. Uh, in the minute we have left, you also talk about infrastructure in this in this reset. And there's no way that our infrastructure can continue or will continue as it was moving along in October, let's say a year ago today, November the 28th, uh, 2019. Things were humming along. Most of us hadn't even heard about the, uh, the flu that was breaking out in China. Um, and here we are living with its, uh, with its great damage. So what we did and how we did it cannot and will not continue. So what do we do? Well, a lot of infrastructure, and, you know, your listeners in Ottawa are no stranger to this. Public transit is a big spend for um, most municipal governments and provincial governments chipping in their share. Um, I think with a lot of people working from home, we have to rethink, well, what kind of infrastructure should we prioritize? And when you have like 50% less ridership on the Toronto Transit uh, Commission, um, still post, you know, post the, the peak that we had in, in the spring, people are still going to work, but they're not taking the transit. They were the way they were before and they won't in the future. Broadband to me is a more important spend and possibly less expensive than it would be to put all the, all the transit priorities that governments have dreamed up on the table. Um, getting people to work from where they want to live is a much saner approach. Um, it's also an approach that would benefit the environment too. Fewer people on the move is a good thing. So yeah. I think that is something that we also have to look at is in what kind of infrastructure um, should, we, should we have in a society where the way we work and live is going to change. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.